Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Oh my God, just doing the research on you, Joel. Holy cow, dude. You you have been everywhere. You are Google.com. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, you know, I'm 80 years old. What can I tell you? I've been there and done that twice. So, uh, and hope to continue. <laughs> to, to put this book together, it must have been a, a self implosion because of your personal experiences. You, you've been just, you've been through so much. And, and I'm just so glad that you finally released it from your, your mind, body, and soul. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you can thank Joaquin Phoenix for that. You know, <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, you know, he was the one who suggested after listening to a lot of stories that I was talking. His mother was my secretary at NBC for right, five years. Right. I started he and I started, as you know, he and his family, uh, his brothers and sisters, you know, in the business. And, you know, River was, you know, obvious his brother River. You know, I, I describe him in the book as. He looked like a sun god with rays radiating. Oh my God, so you know, true. And, and and Joaquin was like, "Oh, you want to hug him and say everything's going to be all right?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> that that was. But uh, years and years later, after I mean, this is after River had died, and um, I was over at Joaquin's house, and he by now he had become, you know, a movie actor and was doing very well in a lot of quirky leading roles, and. I'm sitting there and his mother and I are, are talking war stories at NBC when he was eight and he's laughing and he said, man, you got to write this stuff down. That was 15 years ago. And I went home and I started writing this stuff down. Wow. Yep. That's wow. how it happened. Don't you like no. the, 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 when you say writing it down? Because I, I'm a daily writer. I use a fountain pen every single day, and and I just because I believe there's a connection between the heart and that page, which then becomes the story for others to ha- to hold on to. I didn't. I used a computer. Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll let your ten little fingers do the walking then and the talking. Well, and actually, you know why? Because I was among uh, in my junior high school. Um, we they we had a typing class. Yeah, they yeah. taught us how they taught us how to type, and so I, I used it. And I went home and I literally wrote uh, the because I knew when he said write this stuff down in my head immediately. I thought of what would be interesting and funny and amusing, and I wrote the first part of David Hasselhoff dot 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 blame me because I cast David in his three network shows, <laughs> you know, and by this time he'd become sort of a punchline. So I yeah. so I knew that that this was a good place to start. So literally, I went home and I wrote it that night. What, what do you do with someone like David Hasselhoff, who, who in Germany, he was God. But, but here in the States, he, he was one, you know, we, we didn't take him so seriously. I mean, it's, I mean, it was like, how do you put up with a personality like that? Well, first of all, 
you know, uh, I've, I've met him several times, and he's a very sweet, nice yeah. guy. That's number one. And you know, he was doing he was doing what we. Uh, I can't curse on this show, but the shows he were doing, shall we say, he was not doing Cheers and Hill Street Blues. Right. <laughs> he was doing, you know, nonsense shows. He was doing fluff. He was doing very commercial shows, and. But you know you can't you can't blame the actor for doing them. That was that's just what he was doing, and he did them very very well. So um, you know, and I think he only became first of all he has a very funny last name, which doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> and then he did that. You know, he unfortunately his daughter taped him doing that video when he was a little out of it and eating a hamburger off the floor, and. You know that, uh, but I mean, you should you should not hold that against the guy. I think the guy is very much maligned, and he has a funny last name. Yep. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> the name of the book for listeners is "Sex, Drugs, and Pilot Season: Confessions of a Casting Director." Do you roll your eyes a lot in, in over those eighty years that you say that you've been alive, even though you look like you're barely fifty nine? Thank you. <laughs> no, I don't roll. I do. I roll my. I. I don't. I may roll my eyes, but they're in. It's it's wonder. It's wonder yeah. that I was lucky enough to, and I think one of the reasons that I did well, I didn't just work in one aspect of the business. I started on Broadway, um, meeting a wonderful, incredible woman named Pearl Bailey, yes. who brought me to California. Um, I worked in summer stock. I worked on Broadway. Uh, I worked in television. I worked in reality television. I worked in scripted television. I only cast, I actually cast, I cast four movies, but of the four movies, three of those movies have become iconic, Grease Airplane and the Rocky Horror Show. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I've drawn from all of these experiences, you know, that's how I became good at what I did, because I, I, I didn't just limit myself to one thing. What did you see in Meatloaf since you cast that? What, because, I mean, <laughs> I, I think Meatloaf was such a major part, and the world didn't know who okay, and I, what I, Meatloaf I, was. I'm going to top over you. I had absolutely nothing to do with that. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, Meatloaf, when I, when I was casting Rocky Horror Show, uh, we had uh, worked with wonderful casting directors in New York. Yeah. And Meatloaf walked into an audition in New York. Okay, what? simple. <laughs> no, what I did have to do with, I had to manipulate Susan Sarandon into the movie. Wow. Um, Susan, and I'm, I'm just, I don't know how much time I have, so I'm trying to make it uh, short. But... Um, but basically, Susan, uh, I, I knew Susan wanted to do it. Uh, I had met uh, Susan Sarandon and her then husband, Chris Sarandon, in New York. And I had a little dinner party at my dinner party, spaghetti and meatballs on laps. So uh, in my one bedroom apartment in California. And at, that, at this dinner party was a man named Barry Bostwick and his manager, Bob Lamont. Well, I didn't realize this, but Susan and Barry locked eyes, and two days later, she left Chris Sarandon, and she and Barry were a couple. Wow. Okay, so that, that's background to all of this. I, and by the way, this was happening in front of me, and I had no idea it was happening. <laughs> so, but this was around the time we were casting, uh, casting the movie. And uh, and I knew that Susan wanted to do it because she she had seen it, uh, she'd seen the play and loved it. So, and, but she had brand new agents, and she didn't want to offend her brand new and powerful agents. And what had happened is I had called her agents and said, 
Uh, I'd like to set up an audition for for uh, for Rocky Horror. Uh, I'd like Susan to come in. And they cut me off and said, oh, no, 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 no. This is not the kind of project we want for her. And she certainly won't audition. <laughs> and so that, uh, and then I, in my mind goes, okay, you're going to play that game? Well, watch my game. <laughs> and so I called uh, Bob Lamond and I told him to tell his client, Barry, bring Susan to his audition and I will take care of everything else. So Barry comes in for his audition. And by the way, what Barry didn't know was the director, uh, Jim Sharman, already knew Barry's Broadway work. And so Barry was a lock. He was only auditioning as a formality, but he didn't know this. So uh, I get up on the stage and start reading with Barry. And I got two sentences into it and I say, you know, this is ridiculous. Why are you reading with me? I'm, I mean, why am I playing Janet? Uh, Susan, can you come up and help me with this? Could you please read with Barry? I think it might be a better read. <laughs> Look at you. So, Susan comes up on stage and reads with Barry. And the uh, and the Jim Sharman, the director, turns to me and said, who is she? She's wonderful. And I told him. He said, can she sing? I said, I don't know. And I, asked, I said, Susan, can you sing? And she said, well, I didn't prepare anything. I said, well, can you sing Happy Birthday? And she sang Happy Birthday in that same sweet soprano voice that you hear. So that's how Susan Sarandon got into the movie wow. without offending anybody, because at that point, it was an offer. She didn't have to audition. So the next day I called, I said, we're offering Susan Sarandon the call. <laughs> There's a little coda to that, of course, if you remember in the book. She and Barry, who were kind of a couple, go off to London to shoot the movie. And two weeks into shooting, they are no longer a couple. Oh, no. (laughs) And then, as I say in the book, and Susan sort of liked to boff upwards because her next two boyfriends were Louis Malle and David Bowie. Did directors approach you, or was it one of those where you would hear something on the street about a movie or a Broadway play, and you'd go, oh, I've got the perfect person, I'm going to approach them? No, that never happened. (laughs) (laughs) So so they always came to you then? They always came to me, and after a certain point, things were just offered. Okay. Uh, The the thing that I... um, I mean, Greece was a no-brainer because I had worked with John uh, John Travolta in Boy in the Plastic Bubble, which I produced. So, and and I had basically put the not basically I put the director into that project as well. And the same two were doing the movie of Greece. So I was that was a given that I was going to cast it, and I did many other things on that too. But I had to go in and meet the airplane boys because I was auditioning for that role mm. uh, as a casting director. And uh, and I went in and I met them. I loved the script. I was embarrassed to go in because I was re- I always read the script the morning before I go in for a di- for, for those things. And the, the script was full of spilled coffee from spit takes <laughs> because I was laughing so hard. And the first question they asked me was, uh, "Well, what about Ethel Merman?" And I I mean because she had a very, there was a very small cameo in the piece where Ethel Merman is in it. And uh, I said, duh, have you ever thought of asking Ethel Merman? (laughs) And they said, well, would she do this? And I said, she's in makeup and circling the building. Yes, she would do this. (laughs) 
So now, when you talk about the boy in the bubble, um, I don't know why it recently uh, hit social media, but but it was it was a story on Robert Reed didn't want Travolta to be a part of the project. It's two beautiful no. men. I mean, God, it, it, it was a brilliant story. No, it's a brilliant story, but you have it a little bit. It wasn't that he didn't want Travolta. What it was was Travolta was desperate to do something right. after his first season on Welcome Back, Cotter, so that people would know that he was not Vinny Barbarino. Right. Because if you saw him as Vinny, I mean, come on, he's he's a, his last name ends in a vowel, and he's from New Jersey. So you know, <laughs> you think that he that he's going to be stuck in Soprano Land for the rest of his life. But Boy in the Plastic Bubble was like a 180 degree different kind of a character. Wow. And it was a TV movie that uh, we knew, I knew that it would only take, uh, he only had very little time off between season one and season two. It's called The Hiatus. But he could do this movie in that time period. He was unable to do another movie called Days of Heaven, which went to Richard Gere. And that, that project went on for like six months. Wow. So he wanted to do something, and this script came at the right time at the right place. So Travolta loved the script and wanted to do it, and as everybody else in the project did, except Robert Reed. <laughs> Robert Reed, was he was doing it for the paycheck. Yeah. He was doing it for the paycheck. And when he realized that he wasn't the center of the piece, which he was used to being, that everything had to be revolved around getting Travolta out in 17 days. And, and it was hard. His schedule was very hard. I understand it. One day, he has naturally curly hair. And he had to, um, you know, one day the hair had to be straightened, and then it had to be re-kinked re re and then straightened again. Wow. Those are not really pleasant experiences. Right. And, you know, and he was a bit of a pain in the ass. And, <laughs> you know, and then I, I, I mean, he was. He was the only one in the cast who was like that. And I went into his dressing room to make nice. And uh, as, you, as you have read in the book, I gave, was giving him a back rub. And then, you know, shall we say the deed that shouldn't have been done got done. So uh, we'll leave it at that. you got to read the book for the details. Well, speaking of reading this book, and, and, and there's, there's so much in here, because, you know, we all read the, 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 the National Enquirers and the TV guides and things like that. Your, your book identifies the truth in the way that I had no clue that Miami Vice almost didn't get Don Johnson. I mean, I, I, yeah. can't, I can't imagine that, but I read it in your book. Yeah, I laid it out, I think, very, very accurately because, you know, I, I, I was not, a, I, I loved Don as an actor, but he had done three pilots for NBC that failed. So the stupid network part of my brain said, well, do we want to do a fourth with Don? Okay. So I was on the fence and slightly negative. Um, another executive wanted Larry Wilcox from, uh, yeah. from, Chips, which I thought was a really stupid idea. And, you know, there was no, we just couldn't get it together. And fortunately, my boss, the brilliant Brandon Tartikoff, said, Well, why don't we just let the creators have who they want? <laughs> and that's how, then that was how that happened. And so that, and so they wanted Don, and, and obviously it worked. My contribution <laughs> was Philip Michael Thomas. And Ooh, I was, that would have been a good one too. Well, no, it wasn't a good one. He was there. I mean, Philip Michael Thomas did get the part of his, the other of his partner, right? And I thought that they would be equal, but um, it just didn't work out that way. I mean, Don was definitely number one, and Philip was Michael too. Yeah, I had I, I had cast uh, Philip Michael Thomas in a couple of you know plays and Broadway things, so I thought that he and he looked great, and I thought it would work. They were a good partnership, but you know. 
you never know what's going to happen on television. And Don emerged as a much more dominant partner in that piece. Yeah. my pro- I had a program director tell me one time that, that being a director of anything, it's 90% psychology. So when you are facing Ricky Schroeder and Jason Bateman, I mean, you had to have been a psychologist in making sure that Jason was a well-protected guy. Well, yeah, because I mean, it, it was I don't know about a psychologist. I didn't I didn't do very well, but he was cast and the combination was great. But who knew that Ricky Schroeder's mother was going to be the villainous <laughs> say uh, this is not the ready. We signed up for the Ricky Schroeder show, not a pair, not a and which is a really dumb move as opposed to Ronnie Howard's mother and family who said we were thrilled to have Henry Winkler's success as Fonzie. You know, it's just, you know, and uh, and unfortunately it was, I brought in Alfonso Ribeiro to replace Jason, which was, I think, I thought it was a good idea, but it wasn't because you needed, a, you needed someone really funny instead of two straight men. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it worked out that way. But again, we knew what we were doing because we, we knew we had Valerie's family coming up. And so we knew we wanted Jason for that. So we put Jason in, uh, in another show that we knew was never going to last. But we kept him off the market until uh, he was ready for Valerie's family. Yeah. This is a little deviousness on my part. But there is, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, I'll do anything to, uh, to make sure that I get the person in the part, I- even if it takes a little deviousness. Yeah. Because, you know, maybe that's why I was a good casting director. <laughs> in, in radio, there, there's one way. When we built teams, morning teams and afternoon drive teams, there, there, there were three elements that we had to have. A dick, a dork, and a deer. Did you go into any project like that? as well no <laughs> but i love the word <laughs> i mean because you you've like you said you you were talking about how you know i mean you had two leading guys uh in in with with a uh, uh, ricky schroeder and it's and it was it was kind of a mismatch and so it's i always i always look for that okay this one's gonna be different he's got to be more different than the other guy they can't be the same well it's called the chemistry and uh, yeah. no it come on it, it's 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 not even casting 101 you need, if you have a you'd have to have a comedian and a straight man yeah you've got you need someone to uh, here's another example that I did in the movie Grease um first of all let's the Eve Arden character oh, uh, yeah. you know the, yeah, the principal the principal well I was I've been a big fan she did a TV show and a radio show actually called Our Miss Brooks and she did tons of movies where she was the sharp, acerbic woman and very, very funny. But I also knew that she had to play off somebody. You can't be acerbic if you're talking to yourself. Yep. So uh, as a school principal, I said to the director, I said, you know, Eve needs someone to play off of. So why don't we uh, create a character called the school secretary? <laughs> and I said, well, we, we, somebody like Dodie Goodman. Well, you know, if you've seen the movie, and I knew Dodie Goodman from her appearances on the Jack Farr show, yep. you know, late night talk show. And so that's how Dodie Goodman got into the movie to be a foil for Eve Arden and, and turned out to be wonderful. But I think I succeeded as a casting director because I always thought out of the box. Yep. I didn't take what was just given to me on the play, on the, t- on the, on the script. I always came up with suggestions that were that a, that a, um, I want to say a normal or a regular casting director just wouldn't wouldn't do, but I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. That was just me. 
Joel, you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. Like I said in the very beginning, you you have just uh, so much experience, and it needs to be shared with the entire world. I know they can get a huge part of it right now with sex, drugs, and pilot season. But there's, there, I, I want to hear you tell the stories. So, man, well, so thank, thank thank you for having me. And you know, it's number one on Amazon in yes. this category of movies. And, I'm, and I, as I've been saying, you know, it's like my mother would finally say, "It's okay, you didn't go to medical school." <laughs> All right. <laughs> You be brilliant today, okay, sir? Okay, thank you. Thanks for having me. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.